the end of the chapter. And you remember chapter eight is one of these amazing chapters because obviously for time's sake, if you dig into any book of the Bible in any chapter, you're going to spend hours in it because you can do word studies. You can study personalities and types and shadows and all kinds of things. And so we see a something that's really fun to study out is, and I titled my message here this morning because of it, a, a contrast in conversions. Because you look at Simon the Sorcerer, who we were looking at, and he seemed to have a genuine conversion. But as I shared with you at the end of the sermon, if you were with us, that church history shows that he was probably the father of Gnosticism, that he actually believed that he didn't just believe in God, he believed actually that he was the incarnation of God. So it didn't end well, you could say, for Simon the Sorcerer. And then, and yet we have now Philip ministering then will be to the Ethiopian eunuch here at the end of the chapter. And the reason it's such a, a contrast is because of their lives and just how different they are. And when you study the Bible, you got to wonder, why would God put the story of Simon the sorcerer right next to the story of the Ethiopian eunuch if he didn't want us to see the contrast? Because when you study the book of Proverbs, you study the book of Psalms, any student of the Bible, you know you study contrast. That's one of the things that the Lord does to help us grow an understanding of who he is. And so as we look at this today, we do that with that in mind, that God would just help us to see really the difference between what a sincere faith is and what an insincere faith is. And one of the great blessings in that is we get the opportunity in communion at the end of the service. And if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Mike, I've learned that my faith isn't very sincere, you can fix that by coming to Jesus Christ. And if you've never received Christ, you can do that today. And again, we look at Simon's life, and, and like I said, I think it's one of those things where it, it begins to challenge us to examine every facet of our life. And then you look at the Ethiopian eunuch, and I'll give you some details about what church history tells us about his life, and it is definitely a contrast worth studying. And so let's just take a moment, and we'll pray, and we'll jump into this. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for, God, for just allowing us to study it and to grow in our understanding of it. And Lord, that it wouldn't just be head knowledge, wouldn't be just academia, but Lord, that it would be a heart change. You yourself said that you would take our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh and that you would write your laws upon our heart so that we would know them and we could understand them. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who every week we come to a better understanding that he isn't just with us and he isn't just in us, but that he does come upon us for works of service and ministry, missions, all the things that, Lord, you desire us to do day in and day out. You, you saved us with a plan. You saved us with a purpose, Lord, and may each of us walk in that. There's no greater joy, Lord, than to know, God, that not only do you love us and you came and you lived and you died and you rose again for us, but that, as Paul would write to the church at Ephesians, that we're your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we don't do those things, Lord, to try to earn your favor. But Lord, open our eyes today to the realization that, God, we do those things because we have your favor, because we are free in Jesus. We can live a life that's pleasing you, a life that pleases even ourselves by walking with you, by trusting you. And so, Lord, help us to do that today, we pray as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
one of the interesting things to me as I go through this chapter, and it really made me think about prophecy for a second. How many, by a show of hands, you like biblical prophecy? Is there anybody in here? There's a lot of you that do, and myself included. And I look at this, and I, as we study the Bible, I look and I go, where is America in Bible prophecy? Does anybody know? None of us know. Yeah, because I see Carol's, we don't know. I can't find America. I want you to know personally as your pastor, that troubles me. And the reason, no, it, it really does. And, and it's sad. And I think you'll understand as we get into this chapter and we think about the contrast between Simon the sorcerer, who for all intents and purposes said, I believe, and he was even baptized, right? But history shows that he becomes the father of Gnosticism, that he doesn't believe in the literal resurrection from the dead, and that ultimately in his end of his faith, that he believes that he actually was God, and how many people he took down that road, contrasting that to the Ethiopian's life. And I look at this and I'm going, okay, but if I read prophecy, let me ask you this, is Israel in Bible prophecy? Okay, is Russia in Bible prophecy? How about China? Yeah, yeah, that is. How about Asian countries? Yeah. How about European countries? We, we, yeah, we see a European Confederation. We have Daniel's prophecy. We see it in Revelation. So you go, we see countries, continents, and you go, but when it comes to America, and you go, but yet in America, you read this statistic, it always messes with me when I read this. 73% of Americans say that they're born again Christians. 73%. And I look at the news and I see the things that are going on here. I'm going, if 73% of Americans are Christians, we can't get to the place that we're getting. So are we really like the Ethiopian unit, sincere in our faith, or are we more like Simon the sorcerer in our faith? And again, I don't know the answer to that. I think that's something that the Holy Spirit has to do in my heart and your heart. But I do believe that God put that in this particular chapter to challenge us to do exactly what we should do on a communion Sunday. Guys, and I'm not that smart. I couldn't plan this on a communion Sunday. Hey, let me let it fall to this text right here, right? Where Paul then in 1 Corinthians 11 is saying, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Read about Simon, read about Philip, read about the Ethiopian, and you go and let the Holy Spirit be our teacher. Let him be our guide here. And yet I look in Here's a, maybe a chapter you can go back and read if you're a note taker. Just write this down for yourself. Matthew chapter 13. Because remember in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is telling the story about the farmer who goes out and scatters seed, right? So we know that the seed is the word of God, right? And the soil that the seed goes into is the human heart, right? Because he explains it. I'm not going to read the first part of it. I'll just read the explanation when Jesus said, let me explain the parable. Because remember, they came and they said, why do you teach in parables? And he goes, because some people have eyes to see, but they cannot see. And other people have ears to hear, but they cannot hear. But he goes, but I want you to, I want you to get this. And so Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 23, Jesus says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Kind of reminded me of the Ethiopian when I first started reading it. it, says, then the evil one comes and he snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. But we see something in the Ethiopian. What did he tell Philip? When Philip asked him, he says, hey, do you know what you're reading? He goes, no, I don't know. what. How will I know unless someone helps me 
unless someone instructs me. So we see a major difference between the Simon the sorcerer and the Ethiopian was humility, right? Humbleness before God, asking for help, right? So he says, the seed that was on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message, immediately receive it with joy. Simon the sorcerer, right? But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or they're persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell amongst the thorns represents those who hear God's words, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. That was Simon again. Simony, what was that? He was trying to sell religious practice for wealth. He's anything I can do to make money. So give me that power that you call the Holy Spirit. I want that power so people will need to come to me and then I can sell it to them. That was his heart's desire. And you go, not what the Holy Spirit was given for. So he says, the seed then that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word. And this is the Ethiopian to the T. Because as you read this story, what happens to him? He hears the message. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah chapter 53, and we'll get into this. But he's reading it, and he doesn't understand it. So Philip climbs up in the chariot with him and explains it to him from right there from that text, and immediately then goes into what? The good news about Jesus Christ and about water baptism. He talks about it. And then the Ethiopian eunuch goes, then what's stopping me from getting baptized? He goes, stop, there's some water. So and I shared this with you numerous times in this. Repentance isn't a thought, it's an action. So when God calls us to repent, what I'm saying is he's not saying, go home and think about it. What he's saying is repent means to turn. When does he want us to turn? As soon as you possibly can. Now, today you could repent of things and you can't do anything while you're here. You'll have to wait till whatever it is that he's leading you to do. But I think you understand when he says repent, it is about an immediate response. And we see that in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Because he's going, stop, there's water. What is stopping me from getting baptized? And so what does Philip do? They get out and they baptize him right there. So you look at this and it's such a wonderful text. You think they're in Matthew 13 to look at them. We could look at now. And he says, again, as I walk through this with you in, in chapter 13 there, he says, the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as been planted, right? So there's something fruitful about it. But I, I use that, again, the word, you think about this, the word sincere, right? And the scripture calls us to have a sincere faith. What we see, Simon wasn't sincere in his faith, but the Ethiopian eunuch obviously is. And when you think about that word sincere, it comes from two Latin words, sine without and sera wax, means without wax. And where that's used in application, obviously what happened was in Jesus' day and prior and even after, the, those that work with stone, especially marble who made statues, if you have an opportunity to travel to Israel around the Middle East and things, you'll see marble statues everywhere. They would make these marble statues. And many of them you'll see today, they're missing the nose or the ear because that was a brittle place. And so what would happen is if there was a crack or something in the nose or on the ear, the sculptor would take wax and they would use it like Elmer's glue, right? And they would put that on there and then maybe rub some dirt in it, clean it up, and then do everything they could to sell it at what time of the day? High noon when you could see the imperfections or 
in the early hours of the morning or the late afternoon when the sun's going down so that you couldn't see. And again, because, and this is where the word sincere, that it's without wax. So it was to be imperfect when it was insincere. And then we also had the, those that made pottery, the same thing would happen. If they were firing a clay and it was done in the sun and it cracked, potters would take wax, they would fill it in, they'd rub dirt on it, and they would sell it. And then what would happen? Someone would take it home, and especially if you used it in cooking and you put it to heat, what would happen to that wax? It would melt. Yeah, they say the, sun, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay, right? So there's a reason for testing. And so we see in, in Simon's life that he's not sincere in his faith. When it's put to the test, we see in the Ethiopian eunuch's life, when it's, his faith is put to the test, there's something sincere there. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 puts it like this. And I always, I have to laugh at myself because I don't know if I've ever done this, okay? And yeah, this is what Scripture calls us to do. You tell me about your own life. Dear brothers and sisters, I'm glad he didn't just say you guys, right? He's, we're all in this together, right? Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Can anybody hear the last time that you were facing great troubles in your life, you looked in the mirror and you went, ha, oh, this is an opportunity for great joy. Can you remember doing that? I don't think I've ever done it. I know what it says there, and I want to do that, but I, there's something in me. That's, but look what he says. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. It says, for that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete and lacking nothing, needing nothing. I love that. And it all starts with what? A testing. And you go, but we don't want the test, but the tests are good. Have you discovered in your own life, like I have mine, that God gives the test first and the lesson later? That's what he does. And there's so much to learn in a sincere faith here, because I think, especially in a day like this where there is communion, and I know that I'm hitting on things that are like nerve. There's that old expression, the dog that barks the loudest is the one who's getting hit with the stick. And I understand that. And there's, in, in my own life, I've had to, because obviously I'm studying to teach on Sunday. So I'm having to go through this in my own heart and life. And I want to be as transparent as I possibly can with you is that there, I have my own struggle with it because I see the immediate response of the Ethiopian here in what repentance is, that it's not something to think about, it's something to do. It's a call to action. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's a change of will. That's what God is wanting for us, right? And so you look at verse 26, he says, and as for Philip, he says, the angel of the Lord said to him, go down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. You guys probably have never heard of Gaza before. I won't go into much detail with that. But Gaza is one of the five Philistine cities that was in the land before Israel even occupied it, right? Their enemies were already there in the land. Joshua basically had said, you need to obliterate the Gaza off the face of the earth. You ever heard the term God forsaken? It's a term used for Gaza. This is how bad it is. It is barren, desert. It was just a place of evil. It was always where the enemies of Israel habitated. And you go, wow, not much has changed in that regard. But look at what Philip does here. Philip is in Samaria, right? The gospel's been going around, and it says, and there's great joy, 
right? Wouldn't it be awesome in our city if thousands and thousands of people were, were getting saved, right? And we're seeing it every day in the paper and pastors are praying over their congregations and people are coming up every Sunday and they go, this person's crippled, this person's blind, this person's relationships are in the toilet. And, and all of a sudden you just start praying and you go, and people are just healed, right? Would there be great joy in that city? You go, absolutely. And this is what's happening. And then suddenly, right in the midst of that, and it says the angel of the Lord, all that means in, in, in the Greek language, this means messenger. We don't know if that was a literal angel, if it was the Lord Jesus Christ himself, we, if it was just he sent someone, we don't know. It just says a messenger was sent, and he told Philip to go. Now, here's where it's a challenge for me. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, tells us this. says that he who or she who comes to God must believe that God is, that what? He's God, and that God is a rewarder of people who seek him, right? And so here you look at this text, and it says, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the, to the desert there in Gaza. Now, does he give him any other information that you can find? Not a word. So I think of me and I think of you. How many of you, if everything's going great, God is moving, right? The Holy Spirit is moving. People are being saved. They're being healed. It's an awesome thing. There's great joy in that city. And you hear a little voice that says, now go to Derby Acres. Dustin Acres, way out there by Taft. You go, and that's where you're going to go. And you go, if I was sharing this first service, my wife, God bless her, is always, she'll all say, hey, honey, I'm going to do this, or I need this, or that. And my wife always asks a million questions. I'm just like, oh. I go, honey, it could be something simple. I go, hey, hey, I was out in the backyard, and the wind blew this thing over, and she'll go, so where were you? I just said I was in the backyard, but that's where she'll start, right? And she'll go through this thing, and I find myself just going, oh, she's one of those people that until she has all the answers, till it's settled everything in her heart and mind, we're not moving from that moment, right? And I get that because what she does in real life, I do in my faith. So if God whispers to me today and he goes, Mike, go, and he says, go to the desert in Gaza, I'm going to go to God and I'm going to go, can I have some more details? I go, do you want me to talk to somebody there, God? Do you want me to just go there? Can you relate to that at all? The, the faith that Philip has, that somebody identified this in Acts chapter 6. Here was a faithful guy waiting on tables, and they go, man, this guy is the real deal. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's got a great reputation. He loves God. He loves people. Man, cut that guy loose. And what does he do? And so he becomes not just a, a deacon. All of a sudden, he's now sent right, of God. He's preaching the gospel to people. And you go, wow. And he's not questioning God. He's not going, God, I need some more details. He just leaves this awesome thing that's going on, and he goes right where, and does God fill in all the details? No. He just says, go, and he goes. He just literally, he goes. That's what he does right there. He says in verse 27, so he started out, and then as you take that step of faith, and this is what I want to encourage you with today, as you take that step of faith, God will meet you there. I, I know this for a fact because I know it from disobedience in my own life. There's probably many, if not all today, there's things that God has whispered to you to do, and you're going, as soon as he gives me more details, I'll do it. And you're excited about it. And he's going, and, he, and guess what? He hasn't whispered any more details because he won't until what? 
till you take that step. The journey of a thousand miles, it said, begins with a single step. But guess what? We love to say, I walk by faith and not by sight. But if we're really honest, most of us go, I walk by what? Sight. Sight. I walk by sight and not by faith. But the call of God to be used mightily of God is when we take God at his word, we go, okay, God, you said go. And, and Jesus did say go. That's what the whole book of Acts is about is go. You go, okay, I'm going to go where you lead me to go. I'm going to go. And you'll fill the details in when? When you get there. I don't like that. But what does he do? He says he starts out. He meets the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And her name's not Candace. Candace is her title. She's the she's over everything here. Okay, The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem, it says, to worship. And he was now returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside that carriage. Can you, I, God has a great sense of humor. Can you imagine a carriage going along? You're out in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, a guy starts running along. Hey, you're, you're reading. You go, okay. Hey, what do you, does God orchestrate stuff like that? And you go, yes. That's how, because so you can't miss it, right? You go, wow. And he go, I don't know if the chariot was going slow. Or Philip is really fast. I like to believe Philip's fast, right? It's just a better picture in my mind. Guys just run alongside. The, hey, how you doing there? Here, God sent me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and look what he, how, it, how it folds out. So obviously he's leading. He's guiding him. And, and the sad part in this is you think about, understand this. Do not miss this. The gospel has gone out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And now it's going to the uttermost parts of the world. And you go, there was a reason why. And you go, it was persecution, right? We read that. We studied the life of, of Stephen who was killed, right? The first martyr in the Bible. So they were very comfortable in Jerusalem. They were enjoying it. They were very comfortable in Samaria. And God just keeps moving them. And he's doing it through persecution. The Jews, and one reason that the church, the bride of Christ, you and I were grafted in was because Israel rejected God's plan ultimately for them. They were to be a light to the Gentiles, right? But they created laws to keep them away from doing ministry to the Gentiles. They didn't like, they thought the Gentiles were good for nothing more than lighting the very fires of hell. That's what you and I to the Jewish mind were, that we were just fodder just to get the hells of fire going and burning bright. And so we could say there was tremendous prejudice there, but God had told them to be a light. And we see when Jesus himself, and when he goes to the woman in John chapter four, the woman at the well, right? She's going, who are you? A Jew talking to me, Samaritan, and especially that a woman, right? And he's going, ma'am, if you knew who asked you for water, you'd ask him for living water and you'd never have to come back to this well, right? Jesus dignified women. Religion tries to create subgroups and superiority of one over another. And the Jews, they like that as well. And so here you have this, African, who's black, coming from Ethiopia. He's a proselyte, right? He comes, he has converted to Judaism. So he's become a Jew. So he's coming all the way from Africa. There was three major feasts, remember, during the course of the year that, that male Jews of age would come back to Jerusalem. There was Passover, there was Pentecost, and then there was the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. They were all harvest-oriented, right? And so here's a guy that converted to religion. Make sure you understand that. Converted to religion. So he comes from Ethiopia, goes to Jerusalem to worship God 
and to offer sacrifice, right? What happens when this Gentile, Ethiopian, African gets to Jerusalem? Can he offer sacrifice? No. He gets to the temple and there's walls there. Guess where he's stuck? He's stuck where you and I are stuck, where the Gentiles were. What, Solomon's, what do they call it? Colonnade, Solomon's porch, yeah. He had to stay in Solomon's porch. And you go on, you know, there was a wall there and it said with an inscription, if a Gentile goes beyond this point, you do so with the penalty of death. Wow, come to church and you go in the wrong room and you get killed. And then you go, yeah, so you have the court of the women, you got the court of the Jews, you got the court of the men, you got the holy place, the most holy place. You go, they got nothing but walls all around this thing, blocking people from access to God. But what did Jesus come to do? Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, he came to do what? To tear down the walls, to break down every wall that separated us. And the writer of Hebrews on top of that then says, so that we can all come boldly into the very presence of God. We saw that at the death of Jesus. The veil of the temple was torn, right? That 18-inch curtain, 90 feet tall, torn from top to bottom, not with human hands, but the hands of God, so that we could come boldly into the very presence of God, right? So he gets to to Jerusalem now, and he's going, wow, you know what, I'm going to, and they go, nope, you can't come in. How do you think he was leaving Jerusalem? Just put yourself in that position for a second. Do you think he was excited about his faith now? You travel all that way, and you can't even make sacrifice. You can't even go into the court. You're not really considered a Jew because you're not really a true Jew. You're a proselyte. You're a convert. You're just a wannabe, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah, and so here, and I love this about God, because God has a way of always finding people that are seeking him and putting people right in their path. I was just praying with a gal right before I came out here. She came to first service, and Chris came up, and he said, hey, she hasn't received the Lord. She'd like to receive Jesus. So I was talking with her, and I was praying with her, and she goes, I just got to tell you a funny testimony. I said, what's that? And she goes, I had an experience with the Lord. She goes, I was in the kitchen. I was preparing dinner. And she goes, and I was, I said some things and got mad at God and, and said some things that I shouldn't say. And she goes, I just want to, and she said a bad word, Coke, the soft drink. And she said, about five seconds after I said that, she goes, I was just angry. She goes, there's a knock at my door. She goes, you're not going to believe this. She goes, but she goes, I tell you, it's God's honest truth. And I said, what's that? She goes, I go to the door and I open the door. She goes, there's a, 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 an evangelist guy standing at my door. And guess what? He hands me a Coke. And she goes, and on the Coke, it had a note and it said, Jesus is the real thing. And she goes, she goes, you can't make this stuff up. But she goes, does God, and I'm just laughing. I go, oh my gosh. I go, that's so cool. And I go, Thank you, Jesus, because I get to use that in the second service. I go, yes, God, just like Philip showing up. I go, does he still do stuff like that? I could bring Robin out next week. That's what she just told me. And I'm going, that is so funny. Does God love us that much? That's what I want you to think about, that he would send a Philip running alongside your chariot, right? He puts you in the most precarious situations, and he brings what he wants to do, because here's the downside of it, because I bet in all of our lives, there's moments throughout the course of our week. Like I said, it's not that the greatest sins I don't believe are the sins of commission, the sins that we set out to do. I believe that it's the sin of omission 
It's the things that we failed to do. It's when the Holy Spirit goes, hey, Mike, go. And I'm like, I'll go when, and there's something in my heart, I justify that before God. I don't have all the details. God can't expect me to really go. I need more details than that. And you go, do I? No, simple obedience is simple obedience. Amen. When God says go, you go. And I think about this, you go, how many people are we coming in contact with the course of our week that God has been whispering? And that's the beauty of, you know, you think about it, I love this, the Holy Spirit's just blowing through this place. But no, you go, the Holy Spirit's prodding us and he's wanting us to go, that he wants to use us. And you think, well, it's not the masses. You go, no, it's one by one, the Ethiopian eunuch here. So don't miss this at all as you read this. And so Verse 30, it says, Philip ran over. He heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, and I love this is a great segue for those of you that share your faith. Just go up to somebody and go, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Anything that they're reading. Most of the people would look at you like what? If you go up to anybody and you say, hey, do you understand what you're reading? They're going to go, who do you think you are? You go, but thanks a lot, Pastor Mike. I'm going to fight. But it reminded me of a story Jack Kibbs was sharing about D.L. Moody. Deal Moody had, and Deal Moody is one of the greatest American evangelists in our country, and, and he pastored in the city of Chicago during the Great Chicago Fire. And the Great Chicago Fire changed his life because he had preached that week and he told people, go home and think about it. And guess what happened? The Great Chicago Fire. And he lost many hundreds of people in his church. And he said, never again will I go to bed without sharing Jesus. And I'm not trying to make this legalistic, but that was him. He goes, I will never go to bed again, without sharing Jesus with somebody. And there's tremendous stories about how he led people to Christ after 10 o'clock at night, after he'd went to bed and woke up, oh man, I wasn't faithful to my promise. And he got up and he'd lead somebody to Jesus. He's out sharing one day and he asked the guy, he goes, hey, have you repented? Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal savior and Lord like this? And he looks at him and he goes, what's it to you? He said, why are you even asking the question? The only person that should be asking that question is D.L. Moody. And he goes, I'm D.L. Moody. <laughs> he leads the guy to Jesus like that. And, but what's so cool about it is the guy was a non-believer, but he knew all about Deal Moody. You go, why was that? And you go, because Deal Moody believed what Deal Moody believed. And he, in more than anything else, not being, we know what we're, we're known for. You go, are we known for our relationship with Jesus? Because that's what it's all about. Nothing else. So I like it. He goes, do you understand what you're reading? And this is the humility of it, right? He says, the man replies, how can I, unless someone instructs me? There's the humility, right? He says, and he urged Philip to come into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture that he'd been reading was this, and he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as the lamb is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and receives no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. And so you, you can read that for yourself in Isaiah 53, 7 and 8 there. And so he says, the eunuch in verse 34, ask him, he says, Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And this is what I love. See, I have sometimes Jehovah Witness come to my door, just like you do, Mormons. They'll come to the door and I can say, hey, I've always believed this verse. They will never speak to the verse that I'm asking about. They always just go back to their script. They always go back to their script. And then unfortunately, as Christians, I hope we never do that. One of the beauties of caring about people is, we say this of God, right? God always meets us where we're at. Amen. Do you appreciate that? I do. God meets you right where you are. I love that expression that says, God loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are, right? But he always meets us right where we're at. 
And I love that because look around, there's, we're all from different walks of life and everything else, but God will meet you right where you're at. Why? Because he's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at one time. But he says, tell me, he says, was he talking about himself or someone else? It says, so beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And this is what do we do for communion today? So he probably backed up in the same verse, right? Let me read this for you. He says, who's believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He started right there. You know, you can lead people to Jesus just through the Old Testament because they didn't have the New Testament this time. It wasn't written yet. They just shared the word of God because the word of God prophesies about the coming Messiah, that he will come into this world to save us from our sins. And that's what he's sharing with the Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian immediately responds to it. So it says in verse 36, it says, so as they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. So obviously what Philip had gone into what water baptism was, but know this water baptism isn't unique to the new Testament for Jews to be saved. They were baptized in water. If you go to Israel, you'll see the mikvahs. They have the cleansing pools all going in. You got to be cleansed. It was the same thing with regard to the good Samaritan. Remember the priest, he crossed over to the other side because he said he didn't want to get his hands dirty. He didn't want to touch somebody who was defiled because then he was unclean and couldn't perform his job as a priest. So they understood baptism. They understood the cleansing there. But he says, look, there's some water. He says, why can't I be baptized? And I think about this today. There's probably some of you that are older that have yet to be baptized in water. And I say, yet, because you will, because you're going to come to a place of obedience. But the thing is, the longer you wait to be obedient, I can tell you this, the harder it gets to be obedient. The longer you wait to be obedient, the harder it gets to be obedient. And that's one of the reasons I love, you know, on a communion Sunday is to sit before the Lord and go, God, this area of my life, I'm, I've been disobedient and I know that. And it's getting hard because it's getting harder and harder to become obedient because I've been disobedient so long. And that's where we have to worry about the hardness of our own heart. And so we pray, God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you said, what does your word declare to me? That God, you said you'd take my heart of stone and you would make it a heart of flesh. And you go, oh, thank you, Lord, that you would do that for us. And that by your spirit, you will come alongside. You will convict us of sin and of righteousness. And you will lead us into truth. And you'll bring to remembrance all the things that you've declared in your word. And you go, man, what a friend we have in Jesus. So he says, so he ordered the carriage to stop. They went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Then he says, and, and baptized means submersion, right? So they went under, it wasn't sprinkling. It was complete. Cause you think about that, our identity in Christ, you want it to be complete, right? I don't want to be sprinkled. It's like Peter saying, oh, I need to be clean. Just wash my head. He goes, Peter, if I don't 
if I don't wash you, you don't have anything to do with me. And Peter got it. He goes, then Lord, do all of me then. Wash all of me because I need it because I'm a sinner tainted by sin. And so it says, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Now, what I love about this, it's the Greek word there, harpazo, right? And it's where it means snatched away or yanked away, taken away. It's what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with regard to the rapture of the church, that we've been snatched away, taken away. That's not a, a new teaching. Some people will say, well, that's just a 21st century teaching. It's just from the early 1900s or something. You go, no, it goes all the way back to obviously your Bible for one. And then there's numerous places. It's not just in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We see it right here, obviously, in Acts chapter 8. And then I think back, is there a guy named Enoch? What does it tell us in Genesis about Enoch? Enoch just says he walked with God, and then what? He walked no more. He was in the very—he was raptured. He was taken up. He was taken out. Then we think of Elijah, right? And then it says Elijah, he, was in, he wasn't just walked with God no more, but he was snatched away. He's in a chariot, right? He goes, and next thing you know, he's gone. He's been snatched away. And we have these little snippets. We have things in Scripture that teach us about this practice, the rapture. Now, I like what some commentators put it. When, they, when you see these little glimpses in Scripture like this, they call it rapture practice. Rapture practice. You might write that down. Enoch, Elijah. Here we got, <laughs> again, Philip. This, and then now, then next will be us, the church, taken out of here. Verse 40 goes on. It says, and meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. It says he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. So he's, he got taken up. He got moved about 20 miles. Not taken up to heaven, but he was literally snatched away, taken out. And I look at this and I'm going, wow, that's just an amazing little snippet there just to remind us this, the, how God has promised in our lives to be there for us, to use us, to surprise us, to use us in amazing ways. But yet, I look at this, and I want to close with this. When you study church history, think about the Ethiopian eunuch here. It said that he went back to Northern Africa, and that single-handedly he won North Africa to Jesus Christ. And yet, you don't think too much of him, right? You go, the Ethiopian eunuch, but he's responsible for the African continent hearing the gospel and literally thousands and thousands of people coming to faith through one person. And you go, and why? You go, because Philip was willing to listen. See, so many of us, I say this hopefully to your comfort, not to your condemnation, but you go, Pastor Mike, I am not an evangelist. Didn't say that you were. Didn't say that you were. But has God placed a call upon my life and your life to share the love of Jesus and the message of hope of Jesus with people? And again, maybe it's not going to be in a stadium like Billy Graham. Maybe it's just going to be at work or maybe in, on your, in your neighborhood or maybe at your kids' schools, but it's that openness to be used of God. And I'll leave you with this. It was really interesting just praying through this week, and, and I saw this article, and it said this. It said, when it comes to contemporary heroes of the Christian faith, we are all familiar with names like Billy Graham, but what about Edward Kimball or Mordecai Ham? It said Edward Kimball was a shoe salesman who worked alongside a guy named Dwight. Dwight Edward. 
So, or Dwight, Edward shared the gospel with Dwight and Dwight accepted Christ. It was 1858 and Dwight's last name was Moody. We know him as D.L. Moody, who was one of the greatest evangelists in history. Years later, when Moody was preaching, a pastor named Frederick D. Meyer was deeply stirred. As a result, he went into his own nationwide preaching ministry. And on an occasion when Meyer was preaching, a college student named J. Wilbur Chapman heard him and accepted Christ. He went out and began to share the gospel, and he employed a young baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday ended up being the greatest evangelist of his generation. When Billy Sunday preached the gospel in Charlotte, North Carolina, it was such a great meeting that he was invited back. But when he couldn't be there, Sunday recommended a preacher by the name of Mordecai Ham. Ham went to Charlotte and he preached, but not many people responded to his invitation to accept Christ. But on one of the last nights, a tall, lanky boy who worked on the local dairy farm walked forward. Everyone knew him as Billy Frank, and we know him today as Billy Graham. So the point was, he said, so Edward Kimball, the shoe salesman, reached D.L. Moody, who touched Frederick Meyer, who reached Wilbur Chapman, who helped Billy Sunday, who reached a businessman in Charlotte, who invited Mordecai Ham, who ultimately reached Billy Graham. And it all began with one simple witness of Edward Kimball. And I love that because it just demonstrates, and God wants us to see it. Every life counts. Every person counts for God. And sometimes we just go, God, until I get more information, until God hasn't called me to this. And you go, and what he's called every single one of us to is just simple obedience, is to listen to his voice. When he says go, it's time to go. Amen? Amen. I'll invite the worship team to come up and those that will pass out the elements. And we'll close the service today with just a song and an opportunity for you to thank the Lord. Thank him for loving you, for saving you, for forgiving you. And then ultimately then to go, Lord, and wherever you want me to go this week, wherever you want me to go, God, give me the faith to trust you, to believe you, and to go wherever you lead me to go. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for communion today. And Lord, as we receive it, Lord, may we just appreciate you so much, Lord, for what you've done for us. Lord, it isn't about going out of the church and going, oh, in order to be saved, I need to do this. No, everything to be saved, God, you took care of. But Lord, help us as we go out from service today and into this week that we go in the name and in the love of God, that, that we look at the world today and as we study our Bible and we don't see America in prophecy Lord, there's only one of two things. Either the church really is so big here in the United States, we're going to be raptured away, or God, we are falling away. And in my own heart, the things that I see in the news and reported, it seems like there's a great falling away, which then for us, Lord, is just a great opportunity to love people, to say, man, how's that working for you? And then to point them to the cross, to point them what we know to be true, that their sins can be forgiven, that their names can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so, Lord, I pray that today, if there's anybody here or online at home, Lord, that 
hasn't received you, they would do that now, that this would be the best communion Sunday for them as they hold that bread in their hand and say, Lord, thank you that your body broken for me as they take that cup and go, thank you, Lord, it's your blood. By your blood, I'm forgiven today. And that we would know that, Lord. And that, God, you would, as we hear the wind blowing, that, God, you would rush through this place like a mighty wind and fill us with your spirit, that we'd go in your power and your strength, Lord, to bring you glory, Lord. That, that's why we live, to bring you glory. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Enjoy this time of communion.